the life phone is going to make your life a lot harder for a second. And you're going to have a lot of questions. Why do I feel like no one gets me? Why do I feel much lonelier and, and not really even know why? Because you're like, I'm still texting with all my friends. I still have Instagram. People tell me about anxiety. They feel to answer a text message the second they get it. Like they're letting someone down. And you can vocalize these things. After that initial anxiety, there is a sort of beautiful other side. Once you get over the wall of FOMO, I'm able to slow down, not stress. Life is good, and I think the life phone forces you to get there. That is Joe Hollier. I'm Andrew Connect, and this is the Unpretentious Podcast. In 2014, Joe was invited to a Google incubator in New York, and he saw everyone in technology going one way and decided he'd go the opposite. Here's Joe's story of co-creating the light phone. The light phone is the cell phone that's intentionally designed to be used as little as possible. So it's stripped down of as much uh, you know, of the, the burdens, the distractions, the notifications that come with the smartphone so that you can experience an experience that we've coined going light. Uh, and that experience is really what the light phone is about. Um, it's not, you know, about what it can or can't do, but it's it's about really encouraging people to step away from their smartphone and to consciously take that time uh, to, to unplug from the Internet um, here and there. And that's starting to become more popular, but I'm curious. I know for you this journey started, I think, in 2014. And so at that point in time, every, everyone is going in one direction, which is get as much time as you can for people to spend on the smartphone. Why in the world did you go the exact opposite direction? It was September 2014. I joined a Google experiment. It was here in New York City, and it was, it was sort of like an incubator uh, for designers. And it came out of the Google Creative Lab, and they had this hypothesis that you know designers might think of new breed of startups, but really they, they wanted us to create smartphone apps. Mm. Uh, so it was a really open-ended program and it was, a, a, you know, a little context on my back life. You know, I was not really technical at all before. I was a, uh, a graphic designer from School of Visual Arts. I worked in stop motion and fine art. Mm. Um, predominantly, I had a little skate company. So it was kind of, uh, you know, I, I was curious to, to see you know, what that world might have in it and like, you know, what opportunities or what I might be able to create. Uh, so I joined this program and we immediately start meeting a bunch of different founders, investors, and just, you know, general thought leaders in the tech space. Mm. And I, I saw this pattern emerge right away um, for, for the, you know, the kind of mold for making the perfect smartphone app company, which was like, you know, think of some idea that is sticky, you know, and mm -hmm. the sticky means that users will spend hours on using your product a day, uh, make it free so that you can infinitely scale it, you know, turn your business model into collecting data and selling ads, and then you wrap it up with a pretty little bow as if you're making the world a better place. And it was, you know, I saw it time and time again, and, 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 I, and I thought to myself as I was trying to think of what smartphone app I might want to create, 
I, I couldn't help but feel, wow, the last thing it feels like the world needs is another smartphone app. Uh, and when I thought about, you know, my existence with my smartphone and just, you know, the general trend of how we went from, you know, my first experience with the internet, which was like AOL Instant Messenger on one computer in my parents' house to now being constantly 24-7 connected to the internet without even really realizing that that sort of transition happened. Um, that was kind of what inspired the light phone because I really wanted people to be aware that, you know, we didn't always have the internet in our pocket and that we don't have to always have it. I think because uh, our smartphones are our phone, we sort of just, you know, we bring it because what if, um, you know, you don't even think twice about whether or not you're going to bring your smartphone with you because what if something happens and you need to call someone, but you know, you don't always need your email or, or your social media. And sometimes those things, I mean, often uh, become more of a distraction than actually helpful. Um, so the life phone was, it was really about encouraging people to, to, be aware of that. And in, in that regard, it was, it was sort of a conversational piece, but yeah, it was definitely opposite of, of what everyone else was doing. That's 2014. And since then, like I've, you know, just reading the news, I read the tech stuff, they'll show all these studies. Like I think it's the average person, you know, whatever it is, seven to 11 hours a day on the screen. I think they did a study with millennials and millennials would rather give up sex before they would give up their smartphone. And in some cases, they would talk about they took away the smartphone from a person and within an hour, they started to become extremely nervous. Right. And like I've not ex seen it that extreme, but I have seen people, they're constantly checking their phone constantly. You were ahead of this curve and all this stuff is now coming out that kind of backs up that feeling you had. But I'm still what why do you think, like I said, when you're there and everyone's incentivizing you with money, with meeting people, with promising you like this is gonna be the next big app, you think how well your life will go. Why are you kind of a rebel or why why did you go the opposite direction? There's definitely a little rebel in me, I think, always. Uh, but I think as an artist, the things that the light phone speaks to always were kind of core to the art that I was trying to create. I know my thesis in college was very much about questioning that idea of, well, that's just the way things are. Mm. And it was about kind of really, you know, I, I was inspired by existentialism at the time, but like taking responsibility for one's life, not just mm. leaving college and falling into a routine and then snapping out of it, you know, 35 years later at your own kid's graduation, like, hmm. where did my life go? Um, you know, so it was, the light phone and this idea of like, you know, taking responsibility for one's time. And, and, you know, I've always been super critical of advertising. And to me, mm -hmm. so much of the smartphone felt like it was just a, a tool for advertisers to learn more about you, to track you more closely, to try to sell you more things when you're more vulnerable. And, and so, uh, you know, there was a lot of things that, that felt aligned to, to things that I'd always thought about, regardless of the fact that I you know, have no idea how to make a phone. So how did you go from, like you're saying, art and skateboarding to now you're at this incubator? Did, I mean, did you partner up with someone or how did you, how did you go from knowing nothing about a phone to now I'm building a phone? Well, I mean, the, the, uh, the incubator's premise on one hand was really based in the idea that uh, a designer could think of an idea and 
mock it up, you know, pitch it. In my case, I had a piece of plastic that I got uh, in the shape of a credit card, and I used a sewing needle and made a couple of holes that mimic what now is the speaker. And mm-hmm. in Photoshop, I, I sort of simulated what it might look like lighting up. Uh, so their hypothesis was that designers could make this seem real enough so that, you know, the investors or the engineers would want to help come along and, and make the product. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, I got incredibly lucky. It really feels like a stars aligning moment that Kaiway, my, my co-founder, was actually also in the same program. And his background um, was making cell phones for over 10 years prior wow. to joining the program. Um, he had joined the program similarly, not really knowing what he wanted to do. But I think the last thing he thought he would ever do again was make another phone. <laughs> um, and I remember our first conversation, he was like, you don't want to make a phone, Joe. Making phones really hard. And I naively was like, how hard can it be? <laughs> it's, it's pretty hard. <laughs> but I think that naivety like made it possible for me to, to, to take something like this as far as I did because, you know, it is so opposite, so niche. Making hardware is really expensive, and when you're going the opposite route of everything else, it's it's easy to maybe get like the press interested because you know mm-hmm. it's conversational, it's controversial, mm-hmm. it's an interesting idea. It's always been polarizing. I mean, when I first pitched the idea, people kind of loved it or hated it. Uh, there wasn't really in between so mm. as an artist i was like yes that's interesting you know <laughs> mm-hmm. i have this piece of plastic with photoshop and we're sitting here arguing about it for 30 minutes like this is doing something um so we've, we've been really lucky with the press and the conversation but you know it's been such a struggle to get investors to, to really commit because it's like they're like ah, oh, it's an interesting idea but is mm-hmm. it do people really want this um so. <laughs> yeah, and all those all those technical challenges, which we'll dive into, because just the business side of me is like fascinated by, okay, what was the struggle to bring this Photoshop picture to life? Like, what was that journey like? But I'm still trying to get your motivation for why it's going to turn out, like you're saying, part of it's just you didn't know what you're getting into, but you also, like you said, you had this philosophy in life of taking responsibility for your actions and not wanting to wake up at the end of your life saying, what have I spent my time doing? Right, like one of the one of the quotes. There's actually a demotivational poster. It says, "No single raindrop believes it's responsible for the flood." So it's so easy to negate our small contribution to this huge flood of technology and you know the, just the current of culture all pushing us one direction. And there's there's truth to this, but the common excuse I hear is technology is just a tool, i.e., it's neutral. It has no built-in um, influence or design to push you one direction or the other. It's purely and solely up to the individual using it for how they go about using it. Do you have that belief? Do, what do you believe about technology? Do you think it's a neutral thing or do you actually believe how you design something lends itself to influencing you one direction or the other? Um, on the like, you know, super high level, I do think that, you know, technology itself isn't inherently bad. I think that's probably something that people tend to think I'm some sort of like Luddite that wants Mm. to go back and, you know, the world is better without technology. And I don't necessarily believe that by by any means, but I do think that, um, you know, technology is best when it's neutral. However, 
it's undeniable with some of these platforms uh, that are being made. You know, maybe your computer is neutral, but you know, the 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 apps and the websites. Once you get into, you know, the Facebook world, for instance, like every piece of that is engineered, and and I really mean engineered because there's like scientists working behind the scenes to to keep us hooked, you know, mm-hmm. as much as possible. So it, it there. There, there is some sort of um, motivation in that, and I, I don't think it's purely neutral. But you know, I've always loved technology. I mean, I'm a, a big camera person. Photography and video has always been a big part of my life, from shooting skateboarding to to everything else I do. So it's like I'm always nerding out about cameras and reading weird camera forums. And like, you know, the internet has taught me so much about that. And, Mm. you know, I love being able to get lost in weird New Orleans jazz history, you know, another Mm. big passion of mine. So the internet does have all this power. You know, I was a a freelance artist and I was able to meet clients by putting my work on the internet. And so Mm -hmm. it, it really has given us so, so much, but I do think there are, um, things happening that are, are, are toxic. And I think, you know, these platforms that aren't, we're not really the customers for for these platforms. And I think that business model that's kind of been adopted by the internet where Mm -hmm. it's like, make it free, put ads and and really then the advertisers become the customers for the platform. And if that's the case, how can they possibly be building a product with your quality of life as, as the main metric of success? Um, And, you know, I think we're seeing that it's, it's not. Right. So the way what I'm hearing you say is like the way the financial incentives are structured for these companies, it makes the, the person using their product, that's what they're selling is their information and their screen time and their ability. Their screen time, yeah, their impressions, their eyes, their, you know, vulnerabilities to then click on a link and buy that pair of shoes or something. Right. And so that was that was your initial frustration when they're saying design another app. You're designing an app on top of this platform that already has these built in assumptions that fundamentally as an artist, you're backing up saying, I want to question this. Why do I want? Yeah. And that and this is and again, I think everyone resonates with that now. But back in 2014, I bet people's opinions were different. Well, I think some people, you know, saw the, the, the potential long-term side effects of this that were, were almost inevitable. Um, you know, if, if there would always reach a point where we'd be so completely habitually overwhelmed that like we'd have to create an escape, you know, mm. uh, it can only take so many hours. There are only so many hours in our day. Um, so, you know, some people definitely saw that, but you're right in 2014, you know, some people had just gotten smartphone then still, you know, it, it was still mm-hmm. very new to, to some people. And they're like, what are you talking about? I love my smartphone. It's the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas other people, you know, maybe like myself, having had a smartphone or, you know, kind of since having a phone, um, I, I was, you know, sort of fed up with it. And I think something else that people tend to think that like, you know, maybe I had some crazy, phone addiction, but I actually Mm. think I had a relatively healthy uh, relationship with my phone. You know, Mm -hmm. as an artist, I would work 10 hours in a row in my studio and most of the times didn't even have my phone around. And then 
I would maybe check in, see if any of my friends were going to a bar, wanted to skateboard or something, mm. and, you know, connect. But uh, I think what inspired me was trying to encourage others to take that time for themselves, you know, because that was my sacred time, and, and it gave me, like, you know, meaning and purpose. I see. So this is... This is like you're saying that the people might just assume like, oh, he was addicted, but your storyline more comes from I find value in these things and I find I find this smartphone threatening to encroach upon this time where now it buzzes at me constantly. It interrupts my painting or it distracts my thoughts. And I would say even beyond just distraction, which is so real, like, you know, I'm not trying to even sure. diminish that side effect, but like on a larger scale, like I love art and I, I love its potential and I felt like things like Instagram were really watering down the, the value of art you know um, bringing it to like 640 pixels and you know even if you see something amazing and inspiring people are scrolling so fast by it it's like it's you know these things you know sometimes you really need to sit with it and let them soak to have their their value and then you know mm-hmm. most of my friends inherently are artists and mm-hmm video makers and other sort of visual people. So at first it seemed like this wonderful platform, like, oh my God, I'm going to share images all day with other Mm. artists. And then, you know, you start to see the narcissism and the the ego come out. And then, you know, on a very practical level, like clients start judging artists by how many followers they have, which, Mm. you know, isn't necessarily a metric, a good metric for, you know, one's experience. And, and value um but you know if a client doesn't know well enough and they're just like mm, oh well this guy's got a hundred thousand followers he must be the best i see so it's that whole it's very it became very reductionistic where like you're saying both the screen size and the like this the amount of time you spent looking at it but then also your skill or your meaning as an artist is just reduced to your follower count totally and then like you know people make things like you know illustrator friends are like well i'll just draw it on an ipad because it's going on instagram and it's not like anyone will know the difference Hmm. but it's like you know i don't know i I just i'm such a maybe i'm maybe i am like you know romantic in that way but Mm -hmm. i I like having the piece of paper i don't want my art to disappear if i run out of battery like that never felt (laughs) good Yes, but that is so hard to articulate because I like the same thing, right? Like if you have a Skype conversation and you can see the person, what's different than actually sitting down next to them and having the same conversation, at least for me it is. So why? I completely agree with you. It feels that way to me, but I still struggle to explain fully what is missing either in the face-to-face conversation or like you're saying, just looking at an art on a phone versus in a studio do you have any sense of how to articulate that difference of what is like what is going on there? I mean, they probably are relatively subtle, but I do think they're uh, there, there are huge differences in terms of the end result. Um, Sherry Turkle, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her work. She um, wrote a book in maybe 2015 called Reclaiming Conversation, and she goes mm-hmm. through a lot of studies about, you know, on one hand, the side effects of, you know, our reduced uh, conversation, you know, she talks a lot more about what our converse, what an iPhone on the table does to our conversation mm. because it kind of, you know, keeps us at this high level where 
maybe we're not going deep enough because either of us are expecting to be distracted at any moment. Um, and, you know, that's sort of like your mind's looking at your phone, like mm, maybe something better than this conversation will happen. So you're, you're kind of not giving them your full or best self. And in doing so, you know, you're never going to have as deep of conversations. And if you're not having those deep conversations, then you're not probably getting like that, human empathy that you get from you know really connecting with someone and I think you know maybe missing it here and there is fine but if if all of our conversations are being diluted like that I think mm. that's you know as you're saying like brain job brain job brain job and now you maybe have a flood which is like why do I feel like no one gets me why do you know mm. feel much lonelier um and, and not really even know why, because you're like, I'm still texting with all my friends. I still have Instagram, but it's because I think in some ways it's a, a shallower, it's almost like eating fast food versus like a hearty meal. You're like, yes, you're eating, you're getting calories, but and you're not going to die. But, you know, there is a difference to your body. Yes, that's well said. And like at, at one at one point of the spectrum, it's like, well, even if we can't articulate it. I think everyone knows just, they just know in their gut there's something different or, you know, less about a digital form of it. And I've, like there's a, I haven't read the, the book you talked about, Reclaiming Conversation. I have seen some studies, they talk about like babies and they will focus on a human and learn language from them. But if you have like the same thing in like a, like a robot form, they totally just ignore it and don't learn. So there is something built into our very makeup that I think well, we may not might not be able to say we all know it just matters, and what you're what you're talking about with the whole like what our phones do of you know I have all these Facebook friends where I can talk to people all the time yet no one gets me oh that's so that speaks so well to I think what a lot of people feel and there's a book called The Medium Is the Message I think it was talking about TV totally partial McLuhan yep so I mean it's that same concept where it feels like the, you know another one is uh, amusing ourselves to death where it's, that's Neil Postman talking about how TV is a medium that by its very nature makes everything entertaining. So there's nothing wrong with it, but you know, you put the news on there, by definition, it's going to have to shift and everything you know about the world will have to fit into a 30 minute segment that requires no initial knowledge and nothing. Right. So it's like all these, all these forces. Of totally. I mean, thinking about like, you know, authors, you know, mm. real thought leaders when they, even if they get six minutes of airtime on TV, which is, you know, hmm. almost unheard of, it's like, can you really go deep into someone's ideas in six minutes? So I think, you know, on one hand, the internet has opened that up from TV. Uh, in, a, in a, you know, if we're talking about the positive, negative of the internet, like long form conversations, long form podcasts, you know, three hour mm-hmm. podcast of two guys talking about an idea deeply, like, um, it's, it, awesome and i think you know tv yeah like you're saying the medium makes it so that you can't really have anything more than a bite size yeah and and i as an artist you feel that same way about your art where if someone's purely looking at your art on instagram i mean that's something but you still feel like they're not really taking in my message and fully getting what i wanted across through just this phone and then like the same for me as the viewer, I mm. feel that I would be doing that to other people. You know, it's like mm-hmm. double tap. Wow, that was awesome. And then just scroll on and it's like, you know, that person is a good friend of mine and spent hours on it and back 
in school, they would invite me over to their room or their apartment and show me it and talk about it. You know, there'd be a deeper and yeah, maybe you only showed five people, but those five people you had a conversation with about it. And yeah, Instagram gives you the ability to share it with the whole world immediately, which is awesome in its own way. But I think, you know, that can't outweigh the, the genuineness. So I, I even like, you know, I've taken myself off Instagram or at least mm-hmm. Instagram off my phone um, for, for, for a long time. And so some of my close art friends, you know, they, I've, I've taught them the habit of being like, you know, I'm not there. If, if there's something you make that's really cool that you want to show me, like, please text mm-hmm. it to me or email it to me. And then we get to have like, you know, a little back and forth versus just double tapping and they see that I liked it. So, I think that requires intentionality because that's not if you're just following totally. what, if it feels right. In I the love moment, that word. Yeah. Well, that's, that's one of my big things, like intentionality over impulse where like you're saying the Facebook engineers, they have the scientists in there looking at the dopamine hits you get from that like, and they are engineering this thing that if you just step into the current of this water, not having a plan, you are going to get swept away and wonder how did I get here? Like you're saying, I used to have my friends over to see my art. Now I double tap and I move on. Yeah, I think we forget that we have that ability. I mean, you know, people tell me about the the anxiety they feel to answer a text message the second they get it. Mm. They, you know, like they're letting someone down, and it's like, you know, mm. you can vocalize these things. Like, hey, girlfriend, like I don't like texting during the day while I'm at work. Like, if you mm. text me, I'll get to it when I can. Like, you you can vocalize these to your boss or your girlfriend or your family, your close friends, like, you know, this is how I like to talk, you know, and my friends, I I don't think any of them expect a text message back from me immediately if they text me and they know, you know, if I want to get to Joe, I'll probably call him. And and I think we feel, um, you know, like we we just have to accept and, and, you know, take, take on this burden, but, you know, we have a lot more say in it. Yes, this pressure to conform to the expectations of this mammoth machine that technology has become, that this it's invaded every aspect of our life, and we're not even aware of what all, you know, it could be impacting us or the changes it could have. And for those of us who have grown up experiencing a different form of that life, that there's something to contrast it with, but I really... You know, the younger generation who grows up with social media, they grow up and that's all they know. It's like there is almost this responsibility, like you're saying, to help them become aware that you can express your feelings. Life isn't always what others expect it to be for you, even in down to something as simple as responding to a text right away. So I don't, I mean, I don't, all of that is what is inspiring you to build this light phone and this is all in the hardware arena. And I think a lot of people relate to it maybe more on the social media aspect or just how phones impact their lives. Have you actually noticed the light phone? Like what has kind of its impact been on you now that after you've developed the first light phone? I know you have a second one coming up, but how's the first one? What is kind of the impact you've seen of that? Like, you know, are you referring to like using it regularly? Has it, has it improved my life? so to speak. The, the the marketing around it is this is like a phone away from the phone where it like supplements your phone to help you live a more peaceful lifestyle or to to still remain some level of connected while not truly being plugged in. So I just wondered if like did this 
Because, I mean, the whole conversation is technology is not this black and white. It's either good or bad, and you have to choose. It's much more nuanced of being aware, how it influences you, being intentional about knowing how it does. Like, you created an alternative solution, which is, hey, this is a thing that by my very design, by the principles I instilled throughout this process of creating it, it helps flourish this remaining connected to your actual life rather than being swamped by a digital life. So that's kind of what I'm going for, which is have you actually found this to be a useful thing to help you as an artist, you know, stay more plugged into your art or skateboard more or that's kind of, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, going light, that experience is definitely one that has proven time and time and time again to be so incredibly valuable. And, you know, the light phone itself has been in various stages of you know existence in, in in my like since starting the phone it took almost two years before we had you know working prototypes mm. uh, but we had done early tests with flip phones and throughout that whole time I was still going light you know sometimes with no phone um, and that's actually totally awesome mm-hmm. you know if you don't want to buy a light phone just try leaving your phone for a walk down the street to the cafe you go every day it's you know you're not going to get lost. You know, you're, you're probably not going to miss the most important call of your life. <laughs> Everything will be fine, actually. <laughs> um, so that has definitely, you know, really proven to be something I, I, I firmly believe in. I think, you know, I can get discouraged by the hardware struggles, the business struggles, and, and you know, even my day-to-day relationship to, to running a business. You know, I, I didn't I didn't understand how much work it would take to, mm. to launch something like a product like this. And, you know, the lawyer side of things, the investor side of things, the emails, oh my God, the emails. Like <laughs> I, I don't even think I needed a light phone ever before starting the light phone. <laughs> um, so, you know, I can get pretty j- jaded on like, oh man, what did I get myself into? But when I do go light and, you know, enjoy any of the millions of other things, that I like to do a lot more than email, playing my piano, skateboarding, mm. you know, painting, just even going on a walk with a camera or having a conversation with someone. I, I mm. come back to the light phone feeling, you know, the, the refresh that you get from doing that, the rejuvenation. And then because mm. I'm working on the light phone, I'm, you know, reminded just how passionately I, I believe in that ethos and that idea of, you know, quality time in the in the real world trying to be present and you know people have been distracted since the beginning of writing you know you can read about Seneca talking about how we get distracted and you know that's thousand years before Mm -hmm. any any of this well over a thousand years so um people have been distracted but the smartphone just gives us this kind of like you know illusion of productivity and then makes it so incredibly available um, and it's become socially acceptable to just completely abuse it uh. yeah and part of the other illusions i've heard is it gives you the illusion that everyone wants to know what you're doing all the time because you know you're so important every time you post you get a like or a feedback so it just feeds this monster like you're saying it amplifies things that have been around forever it just makes it that much more dramatic or pronounced feels to me like a lot of the best books that critique our culture are written in the 80s and they are so scared about like television like what it's going to do to society and it's like television like how quaint to like look at where we're at now this is you know they kind of foresaw where we were 
going to end up. I mean, it, the smartphone feels like an extension of television in a way. You know, TV has a similar business model. It's you know, make these TV shows that are really expensive to produce, air them for free, and then, you mm. know, put an advertisement every five minutes or ten minutes. You have a private life where your friends know you, your family know you, and that's always there. But there used to be this other thing called like clubs or communities where you go out and interact and find identity and meaning. And TV took that and made it where either everyone knows you or no one knows you. So you're in front of an audience of 100 million or no one knows you. And that kind of leads people to thinking, you know, they're trying to find this like being socialized through being famous on Instagram or being an actor or an actress because that's the only way they can find an identity that's larger than just their small peer group. I've noticed that where it's, it does feel that way. A lot of people, they're looking for identity through their online experience and they're looking for what, you know, traditionally you would find, you know, someplace else. It's all, all that's being shifted to online now. I mean, I think the problem with it online too, besides, you know, like we sort of mentioned those less tangible, harder to describe nuances is that uh, there's like a curation aspect and, and that just naturally means that it, it can't be realistic. You know, you're not, you're comparing yourself to everyone else's perfect versions of their lives. And, and so in doing so, we're all kind of like pushing out this fake self, you know, that's who we wish to be, which seems like it might be a great thing, but I think, you know, more often than not, it, and, you know, I, I talk to people and I ask them, you know, how do you feel when you snap out of like an Instagram mm. hole from scrolling for 20 minutes and, you know, yeah. or like, have you ever left Instagram? Like, wow, I'm so inspired. Or do you leave just kind of a little jealous and, and like, you know, almost like a zombie feeling. You're just kind of like, what did I just do for 20 minutes? Yes. And that's a very subtle process where it, yeah, gradually over time that occurs, but then no one stops to ask themselves, how do I feel after my time on Instagram? One, one thing you'd mentioned, like uh, just to highlight, cause it's like, I, it's true to me, but I just, oh, it's like, I completely forgot it. You're talking about how you enjoy like taking pictures and going for walks and your art and the light phone. Like that was all represented in the packaging you sent out with the original light phone where it came with this hardcover book filled with like pictures of nature and other things of these moments you could be enjoying. And the phone was just, you know, in this hardcover book in a cutout section and, you know, it's the size of a credit card. So it's very small. It fits in there. That that is where your passion lies. Like your passion is not necessarily in the phones and the specs and this. The, the, you know, the technical prowess it takes to make it and all that stuff. You just enjoy life and these other moments and this phone is purely to enable those other moments to happen. Is that true? Yeah, I would say that's, that's a pretty well articulated truth. Um, you know, those photos were photos I took while mm. testing the light phone and reminding myself, wow. you know, what it is that I love. And I think, you know, to me, I'm happiest. I find the most joy when I'm able to appreciate, you know, when I'm able to sit there and mm -hmm. watch that sunset and be like, wow, I'm so lucky to be alive. Mm. You know, the sun, the clouds, nature, my cat next to me, you know, like I have all these beautiful things. I, I have an apartment, you know, I have a roof over my head with mm -hmm. running water and, you know, the, the most nuanced, mm -hmm. seemingly obvious, simple things that we take for granted all day when I'm able to slow down and appreciate them, that's when I'm not stressed and not feeling like, you know, what am I doing with my life? Because you're just, you're just kind of like, life is good. And, 
And I think, you know, the light phone forces you to, you know, kind of get there. But obviously, um, you know, we, we're talking about it like it's this super positive thing. It, there, there's like a struggle to, to really get there too. And I think, you know, going light, there's an anxiety that happens, uh, you know, even having done it, you know, I don't even know, infinite times it feels like. Um, right. I still feel that, that same anxiety. And, you know, I took myself off Instagram and I'm still making art. And sometimes I think about it. Am I, am I making a mistake? Like, should I be sharing this? Like, I want other people to see this. I want people to acknowledge my art. Like, hey, guys, don't forget about me. Joe's still here. Like, <laughs> right. you know, there is that feeling sometimes. But I think, you know, uh, the 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 real joy of making it for myself again, you know, mm-hmm. like truly, like I'm, I, I'm not making it to get the likes and just remembering that and like, and, and owning that ends up being, you know, more worth it to me. But I think, you know, it's a personal choice and, and I, I don't think, you know, maybe the life is for everyone. There are sure. some people that like maybe aren't as vulnerable as I was to Instagram and like are able to have a smartphone with all the features and not let it track from, from their day in and day out life. But for someone like me, it was like, no, I, I would much rather have a, a, a stripped down and pensionable phone. Yes. And I think everyone would agree with that on paper, but then when it comes time to realistically put that into practice, it's, it's a daily choice. Right. And like, and I think that, that, that going light kind of forces you to have that struggle with yourself where you start to realize I want this for my life, but I have a hard time doing it or enjoying it. Why? And then having to ask that question and not just avoid it by, you know, endlessly scrolling and being distracted. Yeah, that's exactly how I think of it too. Like, because the phone gives you that, what am I going to do with my day? Well, I'll just scroll and I feel like I'm doing something. Um, instead of like, you know, facing that question, which sometimes is hard. You know, it's a very existential question. What am I doing with my day? You're like, what am I doing with my life? Um, we actually like to say, you know, because all the startups that we saw and I mean, still see both in the Google thing, but just as a, a consumer, they all try to be this answer. We're going to mm-hmm. you know, be the solution to this problem. We're going to be your answer. You know, if only you had this product, you know, everything else will just fall into place in your life. And the life phone, you know, we position it very differently. Like the life phone is going to make your life a lot harder for a second. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you're going to have a lot of questions that you might've been procrastinating thinking about. But to us, those are the the important questions that you, you know, what is life if you, if you avoid those questions? So, you know, we like to think of it as a series of questions and that's exactly it. Like, what am I doing now? when's the last time I called my mom, you know, like mm-hmm. all of these things might come into your head when you're like, um, but you know, after that initial anxiety we've seen from, from doing a bunch of user studies, there is a sort of beautiful other side. Like once you get over the wall of FOMO, <laughs> yes. you know, stop, yeah. stop worrying about what might be happening or this or that. Uh, it, it is quite an awesome experience, but you know, at the same time you go to the bar or go out with a bunch of friends and if you're the only one without a smartphone and everyone else is glued to their phone you're gonna feel like you know you're missing out you're just kind of like well this isn't very fun see that in your daily life when if you don't have a phone and you're standing in line 
everyone else is on their phone, right? There's like, I'm the only one looking around trying to make sense of life or just be present in the moment. Everyone, it's like you're saying, it's like where everyone else kind of leaves you on that, where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna have to be even more intentional because you know everyone, everyone's going the opposite direction. And one thing you mentioned, I think it's another kind of like a key point, like a, I'm a strong believer, like you gotta choose challenge over comfort. Like you're saying, the easy, the comforting thing is to not ask yourself these questions or to say, I'm going without my smartphone. My first week was terrible. I've never felt so bad about myself or I've felt so. And it's like, well, the truth of the matter is you've been denying those feelings and suppressing those feelings. And those are the very feelings driving you to constantly have to be on Instagram or to scroll or to find something. And so, yeah, and the second you start to think about them, you're like, get that thought away. Yes. Let's look at some cats. <laughs> yes. The cat videos. Oh, yeah. Right. Or something to distract me. It's so easy for people to just give in and say, I want to go back to my old life of ignorance is bliss. So I, I think it requires an intentionality to choose. I will take challenge over comfort. And then one of the other, the other counterintuitive things you were talking about a little bit earlier ago was like when you're out in nature or you're seeing these bigger moments that you're kind of getting caught up in and you're enjoying them. Social media, at least in my experience, and it feeds this lie that you'll be happy if other people think highly of you or praise you or you're widely known. And it's all about yourself finding you know, satisfaction and others telling you how awesome you are. And you're kind of describing like in your experience, the happiest moments are when you don't care about what others think about your art and you're truly doing it to be caught up in something bigger than yourself that you just enjoy, that you're just doing it for the love of what you're creating or, you know, whatever it is that inspires you. When you keep that thing first and you don't care how people respond to it, that's when you truly find the greatest happiness. And if success comes along with it, if the likes come along with it, great, but you've got to be intentional about keeping that first priority first. How many times can you imagine, you know, someone going, you, you'll see it if you go out on like the pier here in New York, and they'll take the photo of the sunset and then it's, you know, immediately their head is down mm. and they're sharing it and then they're just anxiously waiting for those likes to know that it was a good job, you know, they got wow. the sunset. But if that sunset itself can't bring you the joy, then mm -hmm. you're you're not actually getting the joy of seeing the sunset you're just you know getting the little high of the likes and if, you, if that sunset you know can't stimulate you can't do it for you then like yeah that's that's a pretty scary situation because that's the most beautiful thing in life that's a great example yeah how beautiful and like you're saying this thing in our pocket can take us away from that beauty and get us sucked into thinking something else matters more than just enjoying it Looking at Facebook, like Mike, Mark Zuckerberg, he always chooses like a challenge a year. And I think this year it's fixing the advertising side. But a big part of that is he's responded to this time well spent movement, which is people, former, one of them is actually a former Facebook employee, I think, and other technology people. They are kind of going the direction you've already been going. I don't know exactly when they got their start, but everything we're talking about, they're kind of going in that direction too. Same thing with Apple and Google. There's this concept of a digital diet that we need to be aware of how much time we're spending on our phones and what apps so we can be more in control of how we, you know, exercise our digital life. Does the fact that culture is kind of catching up to where you're at, like, does that kind of feel, how does that feel to you? Is that this kind of like con con confirming what you'd felt all along and people are coming along or do you even care or what's kind of your thought about the fact that it's kind of going more mainstream? Yeah, I think... 
it's definitely uh, affirming in a, in a positive way. I mean, mm. like I said, in 2014, it seemed to some people like I was just from a different world. Like, mm. why would anyone ever want to leave their email for 30 minutes? What kind of working <laughs> professional would do that? And I just kind of was like, to me, I was like, that sounds crazy. Like, I would never want that life that I can't spend a half hour with my kid on a Saturday without an email. So in a way, you know, it was kind of a validation stamp that makes, mm. you know, the explaining why the light phone a little bit more obvious, mm-hmm. you know, the first time around the why was like a really big lift. Now mm. it's just like, well, yeah, I get it. Of course, there's a million reasons why you hate the smartphone. Is it because it physically ruins my eyes and my neck from texting all day? Or is it because, you know, uh, my social life has become in shambles because of it or is it because I'm scared of my privacy or the environment and the side effects of every person in the world getting a new smartphone every single year like there's kind of an angle that uh gets to everyone you know there's a parent that's now thinking about their kids first phone and really like wow these things aren't good I don't know if I want my kid to have a phone so in general the movement I think is is super important and you know I don't even try to compare us or are we leading the movement is the movement right. I just, I'm glad to be a part of it and I think that the users win with a, a variety of options you know when when I was creating the light phone if there was better simple phones out there I probably wouldn't have had the need to create the light phone I would have just quit the Google program and gotten a really sweet simple phone but I, I just couldn't believe that there you know that everything was moving one way and I said you know everything still might move that way, but there's always going to be people that don't want that. And yeah, maybe it's a niche market, but that niche market is, you know, still deserving of a product that suits them. And, you know, as a designer that likes to design, I know human centered design is such a Mm -hmm. thrown out word these days, but like, you know, with humans in mind, you know, you want to design for, for a very specific person. We're not trying to make the everything for everyone device. And that's what the smartphone is. And it, it sort of, it, it can't do anything well if it's doing it for everyone. So I think, you know, that validation is really key. And I think a lot of the time well spent idea is around how do you make apps less addictive and more intentional? And, you know, I think that's awesome. And I think there's room for a ton of solutions, you know, Maybe there's like 10 other awesome phones that come out that are simple and targeted to even more niche or more specific people. Or maybe there's, you know, the the Apple's coming out with their uh, sort of like time limit, almost like a certain general warning for, for the iPhone. And it's like, you know, if that helps some people, like awesome, you know, and they don't need to buy a light phone, but now they're a little bit, you know, more conscious of their, their time, like, that's a positive in my book. You know, I'm not here to be the biggest business in the world. Now that's what's cool. Again, it's keeping first things first. Your goal is not to be the biggest business in the world. Your goal is to help people enjoy their actual life as, as you've experienced things in your life that you find valuable. This is a tool that will help people have that conversation with themselves or allow them to be more present. And the, the design of your technology points in that direction where the design of every other technology, like you're saying, is to go the ap- exact opposite route, which is like, you know, books like Nudge, where it's, you know, it's very much thought out. Here's how you short circuit someone's decision making process in order to 
lead them down this action funnel to get them the decision you want. And it's, it's, it's very methodical, it's very thought out, and it's leading you down this, this road, which puts you on your phone all the time because that's where their financial interests lie, not because as a designer they've intentionally thought out, what do I want my relationship with my phone to be? And for you, the answer is, yeah, I want to talk to people and still be, you know, present. But the main thing about my phone is get out of my way because I have a life to live and I don't want it to consume it or to be this major centerpiece that it revolves around. And also, like, there's uh, appropriate tools for certain jobs. Something sure. like email, it's like I'm so much better at answering emails when I'm just sitting at my computer with a full keyboard and, like, mm. you know, all my files and the big screen and mm. it's such a subpar experience on a phone that I love being able to say like, you know, my emails on my computer, I mm. open my computer, <laughs> I get to my emails and then I close it and it's like, okay, on to the next task. Um, you know, you're not just sort of like always there letting it just like ping you constantly. And I mean, I will say to just, you know, the Facebook attempt to, time well spent i mean some of the things in the movement like facebook saying that i mean i really take it with a grain of salt sure, I, I, sure. I have such a hard time believing them or trusting them mm -hmm. um you know at, at this stage but i do think the larger movement is awesome and i know there's like you know other phones i've seen like the punk phone we've, we've tried those here and it's like you know it's pretty similar to life phone but it's a different approach and a different interface and a different form factor and you know, some people are going to prefer that one. Some people might prefer the light phone. And I think that's the, the power of the movement is that, you know, some people will find software solutions. Some people will find their hardware solutions. And I think, you know, it's not a one size fits all uh, problem. I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of angles to it. And, you know, maybe out of this, there comes a new social media platform that's not, you know, this sort of like ad driven time attention economy kind of kind of model but you know you pay for it and it, it looks vastly different than Facebook you know I was thinking about that like what would you know you what, what you did for hardware what would the social media equivalent look like and I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that but one of the things I was thinking about are like some of those moments in life that we find annoying like waiting in a line well that's where you actually might talk to someone from a completely different walk of life than you if they're not on their phone right social media it's all it's all geared around you meeting what getting what you want immediately what if there's actually an app where like you just had to wait and talk to someone right like something crazy like that that online it yeah. seems so crazy but that's the whole point is in your real life that actually happens all the time that's part of life part of how you meet people or get stuff so outside your world you've never been exposed to otherwise totally i mean that exactly is it that's why we see what we saw the sort of echo chambers that have been happening mm -hmm. you know and, and the cool thing is that the light phone, uh, you know, I, I don't really, we don't like to talk politics ever, but it really um, crosses the border. You know, like you have both sides can agree that like, yeah, Facebook is too bad, you know, and I think the way that we, you know, try to, you know, not divide ourselves as a country or whatever is by speaking to others and strangers and, you know, expanding our perspectives and points of view and learning because, you know, maybe that person actually knows something you don't um, about the world. And, and so uh, that's been really inspiring to see that the light phone kind of like transcends 
political parties or, or any of those kind of things where we live in a world where everything seems to be like red or blue. You know? Right. Here in the States, it feels like. Oh, absolutely. That division and just letting up, again, letting the current of the political discussion influence your thinking and how you think someone opposite of you is, where it's like they downloaded all this information into you. And it's like, maybe if you actually talk to the person, you'd see they're not this monster who's out to kill everything yeah. you love. They actually have a good heart, too. The news sensationalizes everything because it has to fight for your attention in a feed of a million things. I mean, mm. I haven't thought much about what a social media platform would look like if it wasn't um, Facebook or the ones we're used to, but I think maybe one key aspect that would need to be either like completely rethought or probably removed would be the feed. I think that's what where the real, you know, Something like Uber or, or directions, you know, those aren't really distractions on your phone. I mean, you can criticize mm -hmm. Uber as a business, sure. and, you know, potentially how they handle some things. But uh, I think they have a pretty transparent business model, which I, I think makes sense, which is, you know, you want to ride from here to there. You pay us and we send a driver your way. Um, and it's like, you know, you're not going to sit there and just check Uber prices when you're bored. Um, mm -hmm. But the, the feed, I think that's what creates this, like, well, I just want to see more new, more new, more new. Yeah. And, and you know, that kind of infinite hole. Um, right. But what you're saying strikes at the heart of their business model, which is a lot of companies have a lot of users. But the trick is, how do I monetize this? And the answer is the news feed allows you to inject ads into something people will constantly be looking at. So this ad doesn't feel out of place. It feels like everything else I scrolled past and let me click it because I'm interested. So I, yes, it's like what you're saying is completely true. It, you're just going to run up against the financial incentives of these companies to not provide their users with the best experience because if we took that away and allowed them to have these conversations or different thoughts or ask questions, we're not going to be profitable. And no one, you know, Wall Street's not going to, we're going to be done for. Yeah, and I think Facebook, maybe there was a study that said, like, when people are really emotionally charged, you know, haven't seen four really heated, over-sensationalized news articles in a row, they're more prone to buying things. Mm. So, you know, like you were saying, it's like they're engineering the actions that they want because it makes business sense. Um, mm. And, yeah, I just, I, I can't imagine that those platforms could possibly respect time well spent when historically and just fundamentally their core is stealing your time or selling your time rather. Yes. And to just again, I mean, I, one thing I appreciate about you is how like I've kind of been playing the devil's advocate and you're always actually standing up for there are good to technology. So I appreciate your balance, even though most of my direction has been like against technology. And on this particular point, I completely agree with you about the skeptical because Facebook, they announced they were interested in this time well movement. And I think it was three weeks later, they had their earnings call and it came out. This was the first time in the company history that their user engagement levels have been dipping. And so they're, they're not addressing this from we care about people. It's we care about the bottom line. And we've noticed these metrics that are important to our financial success is people are not spending as much time on the platform as before. We need to get ahead of this thing and not have already you know, crafted a narrative. So when the earnings reports comes out, it's like, oh, they've already addressed this problem or they're working on it. So I definitely, 
it would be nice if it truly came from a place of uh, caring and wanting to improve our, our lives, but take it with a grain of salt, like you're saying, for sure. Yeah, I mean, Apple seems a little bit more suited in a position yeah. where they might care only because, you know, they're not making money when you're on Facebook. But, you know, I have my own gripes with Apple and, you know, their ecosystem trap. And, sure. you know, they are yeah. getting more and more into the entertainment business. Uh, and, you know, once they do that, then, you know, their priorities are going to start to shift even more significantly than they have. Um, but, you know, I'm already fed up with Apple because I've been using their pro computers to make art forever. And the computers to me are going more on the like mainstream consumer level, mm. which, you know, that's where the money is. Mm-hmm. They're not going to make a lot of money making super niche computers that, you know, a couple of graphic designers really, really want. I've heard that what you're saying is absolutely true, that Apple as a company is the only one position where their financial model is they make money selling you the phone, so they're not actually incentivized to make sure you're on it constantly, where they could be the leaders to help get you, you know, off your phone addiction, if you will, or limit it or be aware of it. It's new to me that as an artist, you're not, you know, Apple became popular because all the artists and these people loved it. You're kind of, is there another company that you're actually... Well, that's the scary thing. I'm like, there's not really any interesting computers out there. I mean, mm. it, it, I have heard things from people that like have made a PC switch, for instance, that there's great other ones out there. I haven't looked into it enough. I mean, I get I excited by computers, so I try not to look at them because <laughs> I'll spontaneously buy one or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I, I haven't been in, to be honest, like my computer my MacBook from 2014 is still kicking full speed, so Heck yeah. I'm like, I'm, and uh, that's what I love, and maybe that's where Apple can't actually let us not be addicted, is because if we became less addicted, we'd be like, actually, I'm fine with this phone from four years ago, mm. but oh no, I'm so addicted, I need to have the best one, because this is my everything, this is my image, my phone, um, I'll go buy that thousand yeah. That is their genius, though. It's, it's a branding status symbol of here's how you identify to other people. You're this type of person. Whereas, like you're saying, it's like, actually, maybe you don't need a new phone all the time. And that is kind of, yeah, I see why they, they need you to constantly be upgrading and be the coolest with the newest version. So they, they do have that incentive. That point you made, I think that's, like, you know, one that is not to be underestimated even when it comes to light phones. So like, you know, the first light phone really didn't do anything but just the object itself being so different looking than other phones people were proud to take it out and show it off which you know i didn't make the phone because i wanted to make a cool phone that people wanted to show off but you can't underestimate the the need for that when trying to do something hard for people like leave a smartphone that you're addicted to you need to give them something special um so i think you know when people tell us we did a lot of user studies about the light phone, it was so often like, you know, it wasn't like, well, I really need to call my mom and the light phone, I pulled it out and I, I was able to call her. It's mm-hmm. much more, I was at the bar and I pulled out my light phone and the guy next to me said, what the heck is that thing? And then we started <laughs> talking about technology for two hours and life and mm-hmm. what it means to us. And, you know, like that conversation, like that was what I wanted to spark when I launched light phone, you know, as an artist, like, how can we talk about it? Because I think, you know, I felt like in 2014, we weren't talking about it. We were still just like, 
wow, this is so cool and new. Whoa, we could do that. Whoa, we could do that. But, you know, when I think about smartphones now, I mean, I'm using an iPhone, the one with the audio jack still, the SE, I think they call it. And, um, you know, when I think about the new iPhone, I'm like, I can't imagine a single feature they could come out with that would excite me. I'm just kind of like, you know, what, what could a phone possibly do now that, like, would be exciting, you know, the face recognition the, the ar the new emojis i'm like <laughs> yeah new i don't know emojis. i just like i'm like <laughs> you know i get excited about having beers with my friends or going camping it's like those things excite me yes neil postman he said people will come to adore the technology that undoes their capacities to think and so your phone like you're saying i think it's easy to take this ivory tower approach of this is how people should live their life, but you have to meet them where they're at. So if you don't make something that's beautiful, if you don't make something that's aesthetically pleasing and it, you know, just works well and it's, you know, it, it seamlessly fits into life and makes communicating with others easy. If you don't do that, you can say, well, I have this superior way of living life, but no one's, it's not going to be accessible to anyone, but maybe yourself or a few others. So I, yeah, I wasn't trying to minimize the importance of you know, these extra things that lead to these discussions that's, you know, that's part of your goal is to get people to this place, but you have to meet them where they're at for sure. And I think that's why the original iPhone was positioned as a second phone only. You know, we didn't imagine people only using the light phone because we, we figured that would be an insane idea in mm -hmm. 2014. Like, it's your smartphone and use our simple phone. Like, no one would have tried that, but it was like, hey, are you feeling overwhelmed? And everyone was like, yeah, well, mm -hmm. maybe you could take a little break here and there. And that was, you know, meeting them there. That was a way for people to try it without the, you know, anxiety of like, oh my God, what if I hate this thing? And, you know, you could have your phone back in a couple of hours. Uh, but I think and, and good thing we saw was that the people that were often using the light phone, like really wanted it to be their only phone. Um, and, and that sort of is why we made the transition to the light phone too, um, which just for context for everyone, uh, the original light phone was only phone calls. Uh, and so this new light phone actually adds messaging and an alarm clock at its core, but also the potential for other tools. Um, and we were very conscious to call them tools and not apps, but, you know, very light aesthetic, uh, but, you know, intentional utility tools um and so you know maybe they'll have directions or uber which seems like such a far stretch from you know the original light phone but in reality it's it's you know it's, we're thinking of it like a swiss army knife of phones you know you can have your smartphone which is the tv and the everything the news the infinite feeds and this is like you know i got my directions i can send a text you know and it'll work great in daylight. So, um, so what is the where where are you just drawing the line at the functionality you add in? Because like I I think I think you're absolutely right that texting is a big thing to have on a phone as well as directions. But how how and I mean texting even if you hate texting other people like you know you're you're just anti-texting. A bank still needs to send you a code every now and then and like. We had users that were only using the light phone and then it's like, and you have to call your bank and prove your identity for 30 minutes. It's like, just cause you couldn't see that four digit code. So as part of your 
reasoning behind adding these extra features is this makes it even easier to stay off of the full phone for longer? Exactly. Okay. For longer is exactly it. And potentially for some users, um, actually a lot of our users for good, even, you know, like ditch the smartphone. Um, but then how do you not fall into the trap of I've added so many new features it now is a smartphone. So how do you, how do you, where's your balance? Like, how do you kind of think about that? So, I mean, we have a really hard red line philosophically that we feel is social media, email, and news, which again, it's kind of like mm. email is tricky because there is, you know, you can obviously argue the utility of it, but, um, you know, there's practicality in doing it on a phone that's just pretty subpar and it tends to, to stress people out email more than, um, you know, help them communicate, uh, so for us, that's like the hard red line, mm -hmm. um, but there's obviously a gradient between that and phone calls only. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. what's been interesting is on one hand, we're, we're posing that question to our backers. So we've launched it on a crowdfunding campaign and we have a couple thousand backers and we've been doing surveys and, uh, and there's like pretty active conversations in the, in the comments section mm -hmm. where, you know, people are, debating these things you know some people are like well that's not uh, essential or this is essential and obviously everyone's different so there's going to be you know well i just need these four things and i just need these four things and, and that's it's been super interesting to open up these conversations and to have people even assess in their own life well yeah you know if i didn't have this i'd, I'd figure it out that way you know to find alternatives um because you know one thing we learned with the first iphone was Sometimes those features that you don't have, you know, that you convinced yourself you absolutely needed, when you take them away, you actually like feel empowered when you realize you got through the day without them. You know, you you actually feel like stronger and more confident because you weren't just, you know, relying on Google to survive the day or something. You're like, actually, you know, I didn't know where I was going and I, I got there. I figured it out. Um, and, and, and so, uh, there is a value sometimes in those things you think you need. But um, so on one hand, we're posing the question and I would say it's, you know, one that we can continue to iterate and explore uh, collectively, but also the hardware itself is incredibly limited. Uh, the screen is super small and it's a black and white, uh, what they call e-ink screen, which you may be familiar from like a Kindle, for instance. Mm -hmm. uh, so naturally because the screen's so small and limited to this like black and white mm -hmm. um almost like paper screen it, it could never be you could never do instagram on it um it, it, it you know you can't read long articles it's it the form factor we intentionally uh kept it that way so that it would prevent us from going too far you right. know in, in, in any sort of direction so i think that's kind of how, how we're addressing it. When you went over with the original white phone to the manufacturers, mm -hmm. and it was kind of like, is anyone over here even gonna wanna make this thing for us? Cause not a lot of people seem to think this is important or get what we're going, you know, in 2014, where we're going. And the, the reaction you got was actually over, over in China, I think it was in Shenzhen, which was the mobile place. They actually all got it and you talked about well, I'll let you share your story, but what I've seen like overseas, the cabbie drivers will have like six cell phones and they're all doing different apps, I guess, to pick people up or they're, 
So I think over there, their cell phone, they're almost ahead of us in how much they've grown attached to cell phones. But what was the story you had about why they, why they thought there are some examples of why they knew a phone would be useful to be not overconnected? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, our initial hunch was very naive in a way. We were like, other artists in New York City or L.A., you know, people very similar to me are going to get this phone and, you know, want to take it to their studio to make music or to the museum to get inspired. And when we launched the campaign and saw, you know, people from all around the world crossing geographic boundaries, demographic boundaries, you know, really blowing our initial hunch out of the water, uh, you know, and, and when we went to, to find manufacturers, that's exactly what we saw, you know, Kai was meeting with, you know, who the manufacturer partner that ended up producing the light phone. And the guy immediately was like, yes, email is ruining my life. Hmm. I need this phone now. And, you know, some people were a little skeptical. They're like, you know, credit card sized phones have existed. You know, there's a bunch of them. And, and especially when you go to China, there's so many different weird shapes and size phones that you can get. Um, and so they were like, you know, why is this phone special? But I think that's where the, the story came in because none of those other phones were ever positioned as a second phone. Like no one had ever thought, mm. you know, mm-hmm. people weren't going on Amazon buying these phones as a second phone. And so, so much of the light phone was the branding and the, the almost like positioning of the light phone gave it this whole new value. And then obviously the design speaking to that, like needs to be special um, to, to encourage people to, to continue to use it aspect you know in a way that those other phones maybe don't have that um angle yeah and also run through some quick facts and correct me if i'm wrong but i think you had backers from over 71 countries you had six Mm -hmm. months of full-time engineering with a team of over 50 people yeah that was uh our our team at foxconn um it, it was a huge team to actually engineer and source and product manage i mean project managers 30 different companies, over a thousand people involved. You talk about the different batches you're making to get the, the paint right for the glass and the screens and the mixes taking so long. So all this huge experience, what would you tell us about just the, the manufacturing of an actual phone, either with the light phone or whatever you're going through currently with the light phone too? There's a huge misconception as a consumer and I felt I, I, I was you know equally a part of that, which was like, you know, I thought, how hard can it be to make a phone? They make phones, you just put it together, you know what, it's gonna cost a couple bucks to make and mm-hmm. when our, our actual cost, you know, skyrocketed out of control and then, you know, people are like, why so much for a phone? You guys are definitely not paying more than $5 to manufacture this and it's like, wow, like we have such a misconception, you know, mm. that something that touched, you know, came from 200 different factories, all these parts and then there's people, you know, 18 stations of people meticulously putting them together, testing it and everything. It's like, how could you possibly think that that would only cost $3? Like what kind of world is mm-hmm. it that like, you know, <laughs> other people's time, you know, people man- manufacturing the phone and all of its little pieces aren't worth anything. It's, so um, I think that was a pretty eye-opening uh, thing for myself. And also just to see, all sides of it you know there there are scraps that get created when you're making something and 
and just the, the volume of it, you know, when you're in a Best Buy, you don't think about the other side of all the fun little gadgets and, and seeing a little bit of that firsthand was, you know, scary. You know, we're responsible for Mother Earth and there is only one and, you know, just because it's happening over there in China, you know, doesn't mean it's not happening, you know, that there is waste and we, we are responsible for these things. So obviously, Apple, you walk in an Apple store and it's like, oh, wow, I'm buying a phone. Like, you know, you, they're not showing you the other side of, of, of what it takes. Um, so I think that was probably the biggest takeaway for me. That's interesting because, I mean, what you're describing, the, the touch point I could relate to, or I think it's commonly known, like you know, the whole idea of blood diamonds, where it's like people then all of a sudden they care about the sourcing of these diamonds because they don't want this thing that's going to symbolize their marriage or be this big moment to have come from a bloody conflict war zone where awful things are happening in order to get that diamond. So then they actually start to care about the whole distribution channel. Whereas like you're saying, as consumers in America, we want to have these high ideals of I care for the environment or I'm this type of person. And we want to outsource all the dirty work to overseas countries where they destroy their environment, but we reap the benefits of it while also feeling that we are really proactive about caring for something when you've got to take a more holistic approach and say everything I buy how did it get made where does it really come from am I really because it's easy to say oh I would never do anything that would hurt the environment but the reality is that our actions are doing it by just buying things you know yeah totally it's it's a little bit depressing in a way because you know you can really take that into every single thing you own and do um and so, you know, you don't want to kill yourself. <laughs> but My only point would be we like the naivety of thinking we're voting for something that's going to accomplish these wild dreams. It's like, well, are you practically living out in your daily life? Think about how you actually live. And, you know, if we're, if we're being honest about the real challenge and the real problem of our consumer lifestyle, that is a more honest way of attacking this problem of how do we actually help the environment rather than pigeonholing it and say the only way you care for the environment is this one specific issue. It's like actually, you know, pick your issue. If people stopped eating meat, I think that would reduce, you know, the emissions that could be destroying our environment the most. So if you care about the environment, are you willing to, and the answer is, well, maybe not. And maybe that's a fair point, but then also be respectful of someone else who's not giving up something in their life that they might value more than meat. So it's just, it's just trying to be more honest with ourselves about really what are we contributing to this problem. Like you're saying, if you dwell on it, it could become very negative or very like, oh my goodness. But it's just trying to, again, not paint these other people and, you know, that might believe opposite than you and say, where are they actually coming from? What am I actually doing? That, that's the point I was making. Totally. And to be honest, like that's so in line with the light idea, you know, what we're trying to do with one's own time and attention speaks to the same things. It's just, you know, a different angle of it. Uh, but that kind of like awareness and, and responsibility, uh, you know. Yeah. And that's such a hard conversation to have when it's so easy to wall yourself off and just assume the worst motives or evil intent behind. I know why they're saying what they're saying. Let me just figure out these feelings that I think that are driving them. So then I can discount the actual reasoning they're providing rather than saying, well, maybe worst case, they are a complete, you know, evil, awful person, but is there still truth to what they're saying? I think that's so hard because it's like you're saying, 
the same philosophy if our phone might distract us from our real, real life. It's like we can let our emotions or the stories in our head about others distract us from the actual points they're making rather than truly listening and not really worrying about stuff that might not matter as much as, you know, tone, presentation, style, or why I think they said it. It's like actually try to find the good or the truth in it that you can take for yourself and see if you can change your life somehow for it. I think that, to me, that's why I love, that's why I was a backer of the light phone. That's why I love it. It's like, oh, this is the, this is where you guys are going. I think this is fantastic. Like, why is no one else not doing this? Yeah, I really appreciate your time. Is there anything else you want to tell us? I mean, I know you've got, uh, I feel like we could go on forever, which is, it's not a bad thing. That's probably true, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think we definitely hit kind of, we did a pretty full picture of at least what interests us at the light phone. Yeah, and I guess one thing I would recap is, again, the light phone is just a small part of your life. And while that's, to me, that's the interesting thing, the avenue I primarily know you through, like you're saying, the, the jazz, your walks, I mean, that really is, if someone to get to know you, that really is more of what you're about. And this just happens to be a very public-facing piece of your life. Or how would you, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, totally. I mean, I consider myself an artist. Mm. foremost which you know even that word has a lot of sure. weight to it that I don't always necessarily like um you know defining oneself as anything is hard but uh the life phone to me is rooted at least in like you know an artful conceptual project that I think you know it, it represents ideas that I like exploring in all ways you know from music to to, to art to to a product and I mean, the interesting thing about the light phone is that once you put these ideas into something with a price tag, people that maybe aren't inclined to read poetry or, or look at painting, you know, people that, as my mom likes to say, like, I don't do art, you know, she, mm -hmm. <laughs> she doesn't do art, but mm -hmm. like the consumers, we're consumers and we'll, you know, we might say, well, that's stupid. I would never pay a hundred dollars for that, but they're at least engaging with our concept in a way that, you know, I can't say was the same when, you know, you, sh you share a painting or something. Uh, mm. So it, it, it's, it's become quite a powerful medium, so to speak, you know, to, to tie it into that medium is the message idea. It, it's interesting to think, you know, how can artists make products that, that really embody their ideas and could that not touch more people than just, you know, selling one version of it to some art collector in a gallery that most people in the world will never see. Right, the reach of it. So I'll end with this question. What the whole conversation has, a lot of it's been about the light phone and the whole point of light phone is to get you to live your life. What in your life inspires you the most or what resonates with you or when have you felt the most alive? I think I feel the most alive when exploring a new idea, you know, reading books for instance is, it's still probably one of my favorite things or one of those long form podcasts that's, you know, connecting with other people, you know, sometimes an author that's not even alive anymore and, and getting to those, those things that make us human, you know, the, the tragedy and struggles and realities mm -hmm. of life, like that's forever interesting to me. And I think, you know, by avoiding those and just living in some sort of superficial consumer society, um, that 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 urge to bring out those ideas and those deep questions i think that's forever been my probably biggest motivation that i can see across all things i've ever tried 
one quote I heard is like, whatever isn't eternal is eternally irrelevant. And it sounds like that's what you're saying. It's like, at least for me, what I relate to what you're saying is like getting in touch with these things that are deep and maybe they're not as easily accessible from a very flippant, you know, impulsive, comfortable, self-obsessed lifestyle. But it's like whatever you can to do to get in touch with these things that make you self-forgetful and you're intentional about it and it's challenging, like that ultimately has this deepest meaning that you'll never get to if you're just caught up in the moment of what life is offering you and you just get swept downstream. And, you know, like you're saying, this light phone has this, it's this conversational piece or this experience of it actually gets you to maybe stand up in the water and take one step in the opposite direction saying, I want my life to not be the way it is, or to even ask what would life be like? How could I conceptualize of it differently? And I think that's a totally. And I think part of that is having a vision of what you want your life to be, which Mm -hmm. I think actually less of us maybe have a concrete idea of that than, than we'd like to maybe think because I don't know when I see all these like, you know, apps and things and, and startups, it's like, what is the end goal to make everything so easy that I just sit on a couch and a mm-hmm. drone comes and feeds me and then, mm-hmm. you know, I go to the bathroom and this couch is a bathroom too. It's like, what what is the end goal is to just be a, a, a zombie or something? So, you know, it, it, I think we don't think about like, you know, if everything is just to get easier, oh, well, there's this app so that someone comes and cleans your house because you're too busy. Oh, but now you have all this time, so you're bored, so let's give you something to scroll. And, and, and now you're scrolling, and you're kind of bored of that, so, like, let's buy something. You uh-huh. know, it's like, where does that cycle go? And I think, you know, unless you're able to stop and just be like, I love my life, I'm able to appreciate it, then you're just going to be in this, you know, endless cycle to consume something hoping that the next thing you consume will somehow you know get your whole life straight you know oh if only i had this car you know everything would be awesome and you get the car and then you're going to be wanting the house and you're going to yeah. be wanting the from a business standpoint if you can endlessly have people chasing that one next thing of the functional savior that products offer you the story of how they'll rescue you from this specific problem in your life and cure it the financial incentives are for as you described, if we're in this emotional state of not being calm and understanding life and knowing our meaning, well, that leads us in a place where we're much more likely to buy something or to click something. The companies are not incentivized to truly help us have a kind life or a good, peaceful life. That's on us. But it's not going to happen unless, you know, oddly enough, you're actually a company. Does, but that's why, you know, 10,000 is a lot of sales in my mind, but that's not, you know, compare that to the iPhone. And it's like, People aren't choosing. I mean, even to talk about, you know, manufacturing stuff, the, the original light phone, like we didn't break even. We spent millions on our R&D and 10,000 phone sales did not nearly recoup that. Um, obviously, that's kind of the nature of startups is that you need to, you know, prove concepts and iterate and keep going. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, and I think maybe if businesses, uh, you know, weren't just, on this like short-term gain shareholder pressure and their, you know, profit wasn't the only bottom line that mattered. If there was a little bit more morale or care for the environment in there, we, you know, these things wouldn't get so exponentially out of control as they do. Um, But how do you 
keep people from being greedy. I don't know, maybe inspire the, the, the executives at these places through art and, and conversation. Yeah, I'm glad you shared that because it would be easy. You're talking like what people want for their life. And it's like most people, like you're saying, it's not thought out. The highest thing they could aspire to is more likes and more fame. Or if you're a business person, more money. But like you're saying, at the end of the day, what is success for you? I'm just encouraged. You're living out your beliefs. You're creating the conversations you want. You're offering alternatives that you believe in. And hey, I'm iterating, but if I don't make money or if this thing isn't this huge success, that doesn't, that's other people's definition of success. I'm still proud of what I've made and the people I've been able to talk to and influence. And Exactly. The people, the conversations, I mean, the learnings, the experience of going to China and having that kind of like you know taken back moment the, the whole process has been so rich it's like yeah maybe my company fails but does that mean it's a failure but you know the, the great thing is that i think the idea is so interesting that we have been able to build a kind of amazing group of people and i think there is enough people out there that the life phone can find its business in, in the world and you know i don't think we think we're going to take down the iphone right and, you know be the most sold phone ever and i think that's okay and i think if people realize that about themselves in other ways you know like you don't need to be the number one so and so so and so to be a success um you know things might be different and people might you know feel less uh you know like they have to compare themselves to everyone in the world Easier said than done, but this light phone is definitely a, a design product that helps encourage that direction. So if people are interested, I mean, I know you have an Indiegogo. Is that, how could people get their hands on a light phone if they're interested? So actually the Indiegogo campaign, the way it works is they, um, you, you can still um, pledge to it after it ended. We had a special price uh, during the campaign. Um, so the price has changed a little bit to kind of, you know, show our appreciation to those people that really gave us their money and support and trust uh, first, you know, longest time away. But um, the lightphone2.com is how you can check out the Indiegogo. And I mean, even if, you know, you can't afford the lightphone because it is quite expensive, you know, we're not naive about that. That's kind of our reality of scale. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you can pledge a dollar and still, be a part of the conversation and in and, and the comments and, you know, following the updates. And I think, you know, for some people that's just as valuable and that's cool. Hey, I really appreciate your time. And I am in, yeah, I am just in, I mean, success, you can define that by numbers, you can define that by money, but I am more impressed with someone like yourself who has a thought out vision for life. And in your case is practically putting that to something others can be a part of by this product that, you know, speaks to all these, this philosophical ideas behind it that are driving it. That to me is what I connect with. And it's like, I will choose that over some other company that has, you know, Wall Street's approval, but big deal. So I really appreciate what you're doing and taking the time to talk with me. Thanks. And thanks for helping us share the story and to everyone that listened, I appreciate it. They want talking topics, they want trending topics, they want outfits to be outlandish, they want sideways glances, beef and problems, they want nipple slips, cause they live for clicks, this is economics, so we Botox our skin and we smile for the camera, might as well get a new nose while we're at it, this is America, insecurities are fabric, and we wear it and we rename it fashion. Next episode, we'll talk with Christy and see how musical theater has impacted her life.